it's not like it's twice as hard to learn two readings of the kanji. I think it's exponential. Like the more readings you learn of the kanji, like exponentially, the more difficult it becomes. Just because you're trying to like memorize the same type of thing with the kanji multiple times, and then those things get confused with each other. Uh, like you're crossing wires. So anyway, so you learn the one reading, and then you learn the rest of the readings through vocabulary. So the vocabulary, of course, they're going to take all these other readings. Like we have nama, which is one of the readings. You have umu to give birth. Uh, ikiru to get to live. Uh, that way you're having a one-to-one -one memory relationship with these vocabulary words and the readings for these vocabulary words rather than for this kanji. Hey everybody, welcome to the Tofugu Podcast. I am the hero of your fellowship, Koichi Dolph. <laughs> but, but the elves, they call me Miss Randier. <laughs> oh no. And these are the other members of my fellowship of the ring? Uh, yeah. My name is Michael Billy Boyd. <laughs> what? Uh, okay. Michael I'm, Billy Boyd. I'm one of the hobbits. <laughs> And then uh, lastly, we're, we're joined by, uh, who are you? <laughs> there are no girls in this. There aren't, are there? <laughs> Not I in the fellowship. I just realized. I'll be crystalless. What? <laughs> that's, that's just a science word. <laughs> yeah. That's chrysalis. <laughs> chrysalis was an NES game. I and have a bow and all the girls love me. And, and Bilbo has called us all together. To, <laughs> to tell you about the history of kanji, and that's what we have been charged with before, I don't know, before. <laughs> Maybe this, so the Council of Elrond is <laughs> he's happening, very, he's and very we're going to... curious about the history of kanji. We have to learn the history of kanji, kanji and sing a hundred poems about it <laughs> before we can move on to the good part of the book. <laughs> yes. Don't skip the chapter on Tom Bombadil, because oh, those, yes. the songs are great. Uh, yeah. I don't care what anybody says. I really like that part. Unfortunately, yeah, he abducted us, and, and now, we, now we can't talk about kanji mm -hmm. and the history of it. He's not into writing. That's, that's the thing. He hates writing. Who? Tom, Tom. Bombadil? Leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, they were talking about the history of, uh, of kanji, mm -hmm. that thing that everybody hates so much. Wait, the history of it or kanji? Huh? D which one do they hate? Kanji or the history of kanji? Ooh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, they hate kanji, but once they listen to the history, they're going to... Probably nothing will change, but let's do it. Well, maybe they'll understand <laughs> kanji more. They might understand it. That's true. Like, when you understand something, you, you grow tolerant of it. Mm -hmm. It's a good, important lesson for human beings all <laughs> yeah. over the world. You know, you got to learn about things, and then, then you won't be so hateful. All right. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put out an I'm sorry, because there's a lot of fire fumes in Portland right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we might have all gone crazy. Nope. No. No. Um, <laughs> That's just the worms talking. Yeah. The brain worms. It's, uh, it's all the, what did they call it? What do the hobbits call it? The <laughs> what? The, the grass that they eat. Oh, the, s the smokum's grass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they're just stuffing their, their gullets with smokum oh, grass. I yeah. want to know what it's called now. Something it's, leaf. It's something boring. It's yeah. like elf leaf because those elves are always getting high. No, mm -hmm. no, 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 no. no. But we're not P here to pipe talk. Pipeweed. We're it's not here to. Yeah. It's pipeweed everywhere. <laughs> we're not here to talk about the Fellowship of the Ring. If, if anything, we're doing more like the Similarian. Where the Similarian. Similarian. <laughs> I don't the know. Similarian? I don't know about all these all these nerd things. Okay. 
Yes, uh, you only know about the history of kanji. I only know about the history of, of kanji. That all the jocks love yeah. to talk See, about. See, I was a parties. jock in high school what, and college. What sport did you play? You know, I, of course, football. They were into the kanji scene mm-hmm. the most. <laughs> we we spent we huddled a lot and we talked about our kanji plans and how to write them. And anyways, we're gonna talk about where kanji came from. Okay, <laughs> I don't I don't know when this got out of control, but it needs to come back. <laughs> We're back. <laughs> uh, okay, well, let's talk about the history of kanji. Where did it come from? I think that's a secret <laughs> that was lost with the Aztecs. The Aztecs. Yeah, you think you think the Aztecs are the one that they they had they a, like kanji. we can't let this get a, out. Better die with sort it. of a like pictogrammy sort of writing thing, right? Or is that the Mayans? Who didn't have pictograms? Well, I didn't to start. Well, hmm. so so kan- kanji are pic- pic- <laughs> pictograms, right? That's different than hieroglyphs. Well, mm, that's a good question. I will, please, Kristen, help. I us. will destroy that myth in a little bit. But okay. first, I know that Koichi has some some history notes that I've been hearing a little bit about. Oh, and I let think me regale you the story of Kangjie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry if I'm not pronouncing that right. I don't. You know, I'm sure Kangjie is. That, that's that sounds an awful lot like Kanji. <laughs> that does. name. Yeah, he was a he was a guy from China, and he's a, he's a he's known as a legendary figure because perhaps he's not real. <laughs> <laughs> he was uh, supposedly around in 2650 BC, so that was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I guess oh, math is not my strong suit, but that that would like be like 4,600 4, years ago, 650 and 17 years ago. <laughs> 50 and 17, yeah. That's uh-huh. how Abraham Ham- <laughs> <laughs> That's how Abraham Hinkin says it. <laughs> Good old zombie Abraham. So, so Kangjie, that's spelled C A N G J I E in uh in our Roman script, which really means nothing because yeah, it's I terrible. I'm sure I'm pronouncing it wrong. He was uh he was a historian of the Yellow Emperor. Mm-hmm. Who I don't really know who he is, <laughs> to be honest. Great start, guys. I swear we know the Japanese parts. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Well, what did what did he do, Kanji? Well, he was a historian, and he, legend says he had four eyes. Oh, okay. That never comes up again, mm-hmm. at least in this Kanji story. But why would you have four eyes? You you have four eyes right now. Glasses. Okay. Oh, he had glasses. If this was ancient aliens, they would <laughs> the aliens like, gave him glasses. Could it be that when they say four eyes, they mean? glasses there weren't glasses back then could it be that was a terrible impression uh anyways yeah he might have been an alien so anyways legend has it that he had four eyes right Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's also written that he also had four pupils so they wanted to specify that (laughs) that it was not in (laughs) they weren't just blank eyes oh that's true they weren't glasses okay we're figuring hey man they aren't glasses there were eyes under there they were eyes so he had four eyes Mm -hmm. i was thinking like he just didn't have two blank eyes (laughs) and two eyes with pupils so apparently he made all of the kanji character, or he invented the the idea of han, hanji, hanshi, I don't know. But the Chinese version, Chinese characters of kanji, the original version of kanji. He just made them all. Mm-hmm. And 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 when he made them, the the deities, the gods, and all the ghosts, they're they're so happy. I don't know if they're happy, but they they <laughs> cried, and the sky rained millet. Wait, so what? What did, what did it rain? Millet. Like millet? seed. Yeah. So that's great. It's millet. That's what you use to mill things, right? I don't know. <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> it's an ancient Haven't you grain. played any JRPGs where you it's had to collect millet? No. no. <laughs> what? That sounds I had to awful. collect, like, it's gems. A grain. What awful game is... Are you, what? 
Final Fantasy fourteen. Oh no. Oh. <laughs> There's botany and you can farm all day. And I'm gonna do that when I go home today. But yeah, you, After can, you can you can probably guess where the word kanji comes from. It's from Kong Jie. But uh, let me tell you the legend of him. It's taken a long time, I'm sorry. So there, there's actually two, and one of them is kind of silly. The, the Yellow Emperor, he was not happy with the, the rope knot tying method of keeping history, which uh, I can understand. And so he was like, hey, my historian Kong Jie, you got four eyes and four pupils. Perhaps you could create a character set that would allow us to keep track of history and write things down. And so like, he was like, okay, I'll, I'll do what you say. And so he sat down next to a river, and he thought about it, and he got stuck. And he tried and tried and tried, but he couldn't do it. So he looked up in the sky, and he saw a phoenix. I guess <laughs> so isn't the right word. He just, he just happened to look up in the sky, and he saw a phoenix. And the phoenix had something in his beak. And he dropped that thing, of course, because this is a, a stupid old story. And uh, the object <laughs> fell down right in front of Kang Jie. And, and on this thing that this phoenix dropped was the imprint of, a, of like an animal, animal's hoof, a hoof print. That's what they're called. <laughs> Not a whole animal's body. <laughs> Not a whole animal's body. No, Phoenix, I don't know how big phoenixes are, but yeah, they couldn't do that. Um, so, so he didn't know what was he didn't know what animal it was. So I'm sure he was procrastinating or something because he didn't want to work on these this uh, writing method homework that he got from the Yellow Emperor. So he he found a hunter and he was like, "Hey, what's on this uh, what's on this imprint that this phoenix was carrying?" First of all, it's really weird that a phoenix is carrying like a stone or something with the it's like a plaster of a cast of a hoof. <laughs> yeah. He was a. Um, he was like, I'm going to take this back to Phoenix Court. This will be the evidence we need to <laughs> to prove that this hoofed animal was the murderer. It was more like, oh, I dropped it. We found the yeti. Yeah, yeah. And he was going to tell all the <laughs> He's other a bigfoot truther. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, so he talked to a hunter. And he showed the hunter this thing, and the, the hunter was like, okay, without a doubt, this, this thing is a, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, a pishu, sorry, P-I-X-I-U, pishu, which is like a hybrid creature, I guess. It's not, it's not a chimera, they want to make clear, but it's basically like a winged lion, which sounds a lot like a chimera to me. Mm-hmm. Um, those have snake tails. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> So anyways, this uh, Pi Xiu is the very powerful protector of practitioners of feng shui. So <laughs> throwing that one out there. Anyone who's practicing feng shui or has a very well laid out home, mm-hmm. you got some protection. So if someone attacks you or derides you for using feng shui, then That's it's right. Pi Xiu. All right, all right. Kill right. them. Where, where does the actual kanji come in? Well, I'm getting to that in the next 20 minutes or so. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so he, the hunter thought it was this Pi Xiu. And, and the, his reasoning behind it was because it didn't look like anything else he'd ever seen. So it must be this <laughs> mythical creature, which is some great old-timey logic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he was like, wow, I'm really inspired by this, this information. And so he was so inspired that he decided that he would try to capture in drawing all the special characteristics of all the things on Earth. Wait, he, <laughs> that's how he made kanji? Kind of, yeah. Because he saw a foot. Yeah. And, it, and, and some hunter was like, oh, it's definitely this thing because I'd never seen it before. <laughs> He's like, all and, right, now I know what to do. Yeah, and he, he thought, like, okay, this will be the, the perfect kind of writing. And so, like, he paid really close attention to, like, all the things, like the moon and the stars and the sun and the clouds and the lakes and the oceans. I'm not reading from a list. And, uh, and all, like, animals and birds and stuff. 
yeah, and he like tried to take these special characteristics and he tried to apply them to writing. And like, if you think about it a little bit more, it makes a little bit of sense more back then because like the writing system was more like drawings of things. I'm sure mm-hmm. Kristen will talk about that. She looks really excited over there. Oh yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, and then, and then he, he took, he, he wrote all these things and he took it back to the emperor and the emperor is so excited that he called all the premiers of the nine provinces together so that they can learn it. And then they made a bunch of like monuments and statues and temples for, in his honor. And that's how kanji was made. Um, there's another story which makes a little bit more sense, even though I think he's probably just a mythical person. But he, he was observing the network of veins on a turtle. And he's like, oh, man, I can make a writing system out of this. <laughs> and then that's it. And why was he doing that? That's what I want to know. Like, do you think he was opening a turtle? to eat it or yeah. was he just like looking really close and he's like oh i like i like turtle veins <laughs> i'm really into this oh man look at these i, I look at them so much i start to see patterns <laughs> okay so <laughs> let's just we can just end there because yeah we, no, 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 we've no, told no. Okay. the history of kanji okay, okay we did it let's clear the We're air done. a little bit that may or may not be true i'm gonna go with a no that's not true but probably around that time there was there were phoenixes back then, that's mm, true. Well. Before they went extinct. <laughs> and and Pichus as well. Mm. They roamed the lands. Were there turtles at least? <laughs> one would, you know, one is not sure. <laughs> anyway, around that time, obviously something happened and someone important enough mm-hmm. went, hey, we can draw symbols that look like things as a writing system. Mm-hmm. Right? Are we, are we all in agreement? Whether or not there were phoenixes and Bigfoot searchers or, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. or feng yeah. shuimen. So, I mean, so sure. okay, that might not be true, but someone did make a writing system. And it did originate in China. Okay, we got that. Or what we consider China today. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they, they found, like, evidence of this from, like, the 17th century BC. Wait, what evidence? Of this man? No, no. So I don't think 17th writing. century oh. BC is right, is it? I don't know. If we're talking 4,000 plus years ago, maybe it's about right. Because that gives a few hundred years for them to start putting on stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> right. this, is, this is found on, on tortoise shells and animal bones. Let's talk about how this is relevant to Japan. Can we do that? Wait, I thought there was more turtle information coming. <laughs> oh, right, we want to talk right, about right. the turtles? So let's let's move on in time a little bit. I want to talk about burning turtles. All right, go ahead. Go what? ahead. This is a little oh, okay. further on in time. Is it? Yes. Okay. Time. So this is like 17th century BC, between 17th and 11th so century BC. Centuries work? Yeah. Is it behind, like, you've got your zero. Wait, 17th century is the 1600. Oh, wait, no, BC. Mm-hmm. Before China. It is, in fact, the time. It's from 1700 to 1601 BC. Yeah, so that sounds about right, right? Okay. So they, they found, like, tortoise shells and, and animal bones, which are called Jiaguen, which I'm sure I'm pronouncing wrong again. And so that was, like, the, the Shang Dynasty of China, which was a long time ago. And uh, so they had, there's, like, writing on these tortoise shells and these uh, animal bones. And so these are the things that, that had writing on it that like uh, resembled sort of those like pictographs, things that kind of look like the things that they're trying to be. Do you want to talk about that? You seem to know, you know a lot more about that than I do. Not seem to, you definitely what about do. the gods and talking to the gods with the turtles? Oh, we will. I don't know what you mean by that, but I'm sure Koichi does in some way. Um, 
if you're talking about pictograms, which I think you are, mm-hmm. um, I only know in Japan, but in Japanese for kanji, a small percentage of the kanji that we have today are kind of stylized pictograms. Pictograms meaning they are representations of something physical written in some way. So you have kanji like hand and you may look at it and be like, that doesn't look like a hand, but imagine like drawing an actual tracing an outline of your hand and then over time it slowly evolves into that kanji. So really, really simple ones like body parts, like your ears or your eyes. You can look this stuff up online and you'll see like how over time it went from a pictogram into the stylized version we have today that came from China through Korea to Japan. But a lot of people who are like not too knowledgeable about knowledgeable about Japanese or kanji will be like, oh, all of kanji are pictograms. They all look like the thing they represent. But one, that's not how language works. Not everything we say is like a concrete object. Like if I say thought, what do you draw for thought? Mm, clouds. Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> I did it. Damn it. Um, <laughs> but there's only about 600 pictograms in Japanese kanji. 600, that's it. And there's like how many kanji? 10,000? I mean, that people use probably like 2,300. Mm-hmm. But again, we don't really we don't really use all of them. Yeah. So, or just almost never. Yeah, so if somebody says, oh, it kanji is really easy because it just looks like what it is. No. Basic body parts, sure. Mm-hmm. But other than like, it's a tree, it's a child, it really doesn't... <laughs> Like mountain, cool, it's got three points, and river is weavity lines. That, that's what you got. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. There's a lot of different ones, and I can go over those after. I'm, I'm looking at like a chart that shows the evolution of some of these characters, and it's like on the far left side, we have the, the oracle bones, which is what we're talking about with the tortoise shells and the bones, and those look a lot more like the actual thing that they represent. Except for horse. That horse is standing up on its hind legs. <laughs> <laughs> That was a good podcast. Again, like the fish, it looks like a fish. And then it becomes like the modern version of fish, which I, is... I'm sure in the um, description, we can share a link to some kind of... Maybe. Random website. <laughs> or just Google, like... Yeah. Just Google, Google it up. Show me anyway. the kanji. Yeah, like Gross. sun is a lot more round, for example. The moon is mm-hmm. like a half crescent. It looks, it looks a lot more like them, so... So slowly, all of these pictograms evolved into what we have today, which may not necessarily look like what they originally represented, but they did one day actually look like the thing that they're representing. My favorite theory about how these original versions came to be is that they found all these characters on these bones, right? These bones and tortoise shells. And so one of the theories is that there's these oracles, they were taking tortoise shells and they're putting them in fire and they're burning them. And then when the fire is done, they would check out the shell and there'd be all these cracks in them. And these cracks would like have these different patterns. And so they would take these patterns as messages from like the gods. And then like, oh, this looks like rain and a rice field. We're going to get rain. And then they'd tell the emperor and the emperor would be like, awesome job, guys. You did it. And then, then the emperor would be like, hey, can you send a message back for me? Like, I want this and that. And so then after a while, like, they started recognizing patterns that, like, would come up a lot. And so they'd take these patterns and they'd write them back on the shells. And then they burn the shells to send a message back. I don't know if that's true, but some, I like the idea of, of burning turtle shells. <laughs> some of that is partially true. The idea that there were oracles who would put bones, usually knuckle yeah. bones, into a fire. And then they would read those cracks 
because they would correspond with certain pictograms that they had made up already. Mm-hmm. That is true. But we don't know. Whether they used them necessarily as messages as well, I, I honestly don't know. Um, for all I know, that could be true. But unless you find like documented research done on something that Koichi is saying today, don't, <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't tell anybody that was, about that was, this. That was one of several theories. Right. Yeah, there are a lot there. of theories. <laughs> it was a long time ago. so Right. Uh, generally, it is accepted that looking at these turtle shells and these knuckle bones does give us a sign of, well, they were definitely using language at this point, mm-hmm. whether it was language that we think of today with its own syntax and stuff like that. Um, written language, at least. Spoken yes, language. I'm pretty sure they're talking to each yeah, other. Yeah. Um, but they did. They were using symbols with each other to represent concrete things. And that's why we talk about burning turtles on Wanikani. It's not because we're cruel to turtles. Or sorry, tortoises. And the turtles are already dead, right? Yeah. Not throwing live well, turtles in a fire. I don't know. Well, Wanikani isn't. Well, Wanikani kind of is, but the <laughs> the idea is that you already ate the turtle mm-hmm. or whatever the bones are from, and then you wouldn't be wasting them; you'd be using them to talk to the people. Were super into eating tortoises back then, and not too long ago, and maybe now too. I don't Just think sad. you're supposed to know. They're delicious, apparently. One, one would imagine. <laughs> yeah, I've never had one. <laughs> well, like, they went on and on about how delicious they were when I was in the Galapagos. So, <laughs> I don't know. I assume, cause, like, people, like, in, in boats, they would stop off and grab a few tortoises and then put them in their boats. And then they just, like, hang out in the boat for, like, six months. And they don't eat that much. They're full of water. They can like kind of be bounced around a little bit because they got that hard shell. <laughs> they oh, can't move. Tortoises. I thought you were talking about the people. No the water. <laughs> no bouncing around. <laughs> no tortoises. They they <laughs> last a long time with water inside them. Mm-hmm. They don't require much. And then when they're hungry, they just eat a tortoise, and it like would feed a bunch of people. Okay. And they were delicious, apparently. <laughs> Anyways, let let's get back on track. And they brought writing about into the into Asia. Thank you. The one thing we can know for sure is tortoises Kanji are delicious. <laughs> Oh, well, no. yes, what? tortoises are deli- delicious, and kanji came from China. Don't, don't you dare eat a tortoise, whoever you are listening to this. All right, let's 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 try real hard to get this back are on track. You, are you that reviewer that keeps saying that you like our podcast, <laughs> but you don't like our rants? It's not me. <laughs> all those, all those reviews listen. came in from I can't Kristen. imagine there's more than one person who doesn't <laughs> like our rants. Yeah. All right, but for those of you who are listening for... Any edge, and for some reason, for information, mm-hmm. let's let's move on to if China created all this stuff. How did it end up in Japan? Um, aliens, mm. <laughs> ancient aliens. Ooh, maybe we some tortoises escaped with markings on them. Ah, uh, it's really far. Is it's a really long way. Buddhism, something? Not Ooh, yet. Buddhist Buddhism wasn't really a thing in Asia yet. Well, okay. at least East Asia. Mm. So we're talking about like the fourth century Levar or so. Burton? I don't know what that is, and I'm going to ignore reading it. Rainbow. Yeah. What? He's the host of Reading Rainbow. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I thought you said a Barburton, and no. I don't know what that was. His brother. <laughs> his, his illiterate brother, a Barburton. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> okay, so it came from China. How did it get to Japan? Right. Tell us. So, around the 4th century, Japan and Korea and China were kind of getting to know each other. They were all pretty close. They all shared really, really, really far back ancient ancestors. But at this point, they're, especially Japan with China, they're just kind of getting in contact. 
China and Korea kind of thought of Japan as like these backwards savages, barbarian people, because they were really disparate and they were warring all the time. Oh yeah, what did they call them? Um, like the people of Wa, and Wa basically meant like small submissive barbarian, people, right? submissive yeah. barbarians or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's like a really old book that is pretty much like here are all the things of the world and it goes over like <laughs> famous people and then it's like look at the peoples of Korea and it shows them in their beautiful dress and then it's like in the other section it's like the barbarians of Wa they're real small <laughs> and they, they suck and they don't know anything um, so China and Korea didn't really think very highly of Japan at the time um, probably for good reason they had a lot of different leaders they were always killing each other it wasn't great but eventually scholars, Confucian scholars, not Buddhist scholars, Confucian was really a big deal at the time, started coming from Korea to Japan and meeting with the groups that were, well, they (laughs) still consider it the current line of the emperor now. Mm -hmm. And when they got there, the people of Japan that were studying the Confucianism they were bringing said, hey, we got to copy this stuff down because texts were the only way that they brought over this information. So they would by hand copy this stuff over and they would learn how to write. And eventually they were like, hey, this stuff is really cool. Let's use it. So for a while they were just using classical Chinese. So scholars would have to, in Japan would have to learn classical Chinese and then translate it for everybody around them. And if you were in the upper class, like elite, you had to know classical Chinese. Eventually, people were like, this is a terrible idea. Let's try to make this Japanese. So what they did was make a writing system called Manyogana, which was taking characters from Chinese and basically using them just for their phonetic components. So the pronunciation. So you ended up with a bunch of Japanese written in what looked like Chinese. The problem with this is that Chinese characters are really hard and they're really complicated. And they would try to take ones that sounded similar, but Chinese and Japanese don't use the same sounds. They have completely different phonetic alphabets. So you would end up with like six different characters that could be ka, and you'd have like 20 different characters that could be pa and you'd be reading the same line and it would be different characters for the same reading in Japanese and it was miserable but this is legitimately what they did for a while so you have one line of Japanese it could be written in like any number of ways right awesome no <laughs> so there, there wasn't like one Chinese character that was picked for pa Mm-mm. it was just like any of these mm-hmm. can be used and any of them can be used in the same text. Yes. It's like, you be you, and you choose the one you want to write <laughs> just with. Just do what you want. <laughs> just, just be you. Okay. It was really, really messy. And, and if a Chinese person at the time had looked at it, they'd be like, what the heck is this? And it wouldn't make any sense because they weren't <laughs> using the meanings, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if they had yeah. used the meanings, maybe they could kind of infer, like, oh, dog, cat, food. Oh, okay, like, we need to give dogs and cats food. Mm-hmm. But... It wasn't like that at all. It was just the pronunciation. So you could actually probably do this with Chinese today and have the same horrible results. Be like, well, this kanji kind of sounds like sha. So I'll use it in the word. What the heck starts with sha? I don't know. Shaman. Shaman. Yeah. And you'd write out shaman and it would be shaman in English to you. 
Mm-hmm. And you have to teach other people, oh, well, I used to these two because Sha and Min. And a Chinese person would be like, that's not what that is. That doesn't make any sense. And Japan used this for a while. You can actually um, read a lot of interesting stuff about this. Manyogana for mm. everyone. Yeah, Manyogana. Following along with their uh We know iPads. about it because there know. was... In their Chromebooks. <laughs> the name comes from a text called the Manyoshu, which is like a big, big, big collection of poetry. Hmm. Um, from the seventh century, sixth century. Don't look century? at me. I don't know. It was know. from seven hundred, <laughs> seven hundred something A.D. Ooh. Very, very old. Even if you know Japanese now, you can't read it. Even if you try to like parse it apart, because it's in classical. What do you guys think about bringing it back? Bringing back Manyogana? Yeah, let's do it. It would be like one of those fun <laughs> um, decryption kind Ooh, of puzzles you yeah. used to get in the newspaper. Yeah, <laughs> like, or the like, kind of like the letter A equals the number. One exactly, except <laughs> it would be way more complicated, and your mm. little like code dialer would have like be really, really, really big and be like, Well, it could be these 15 did for the did you letter have a code I. dialer when you were growing up. No, <laughs> you have like secret decoder rings. Yeah, I was thinking wait, of a Christmas story decoder ring. Did you grow mm-hmm. up in the 60s? <laughs> no, <laughs> I never had a decoder ring. Did I, you have a thinking Girl Scouts? I had something that we got what? to do like cool. Did stuff. you have a, a beanie with a propeller? What? That was from the 60s? I had a beanie as a brownie in Girl Scouts. It was a little brown beanie. It kind of looked like a yarmulke. Oh, cool. I don't think they have this anymore. I'm not old. Don't make fun of me. We can bring that back along with Manyogana. I don't think anyone ever wore beanies with propellers, even though it's in a lot of media. I don't know. I've I've walked by Hot Dog on a Stick in the mall. (laughs) Do they have propellers on their beanies? I don't know. I think they do. Oh. Don't they? I could be just like misremembering it because I wanted them to have it. Yeah, I want them to also. Yeah. Also, Jughead crowns. <laughs> you can get those <laughs> at Burger King. Wore those either. Yeah, it's true. No one does that anymore. Anyway, kanji. <laughs> so, obviously, using manyogana was not the best Mm-mm. for anybody. So, eventually, taking some of these characters, Confucian scholars said, hey, there's a better way to do this. And they basically created simplified versions of some of them, which ended up turning into katakana, hmm. which we know today is one of the three alphabets of Japan and is actually pretty simple. If you uh, if you look up history of katakana or just look up katakana, I think, in just Wikipedia, I think on that page they show you kind of where katakana came from, from these manyogana. So you can actually mm-hmm. see the origin of them. If, if you, you want to learn katakana... You can do it on tofugu.com <gasps> What? in less than a day. It's true. You can learn it really fast. And then if you do it, you'll also respect your elders more due to its Confucius roots. <laughs> so all you parents out there, make your kids learn katakana. Yeah. We can help. This is also how <laughs> hiragana came about, but it's not as simple. Hiragana was more like a cursive kind of style. Mm. And the problem with having these three alphabets, you could call them, at the time, this was the Heian period. Those were the days. <laughs> okay. The Genji days. <laughs> Actually, they were, but I'm getting to that. The Heian period was from the late 700s to 1185-ish. Hmm. This is the time when you think about like, oh, flowery courts and poetry in Japanese history. This is really the time for that. And a lot of dead peasants. <laughs> and a lot of dead peasants. Uh, we don't. We obviously don't have any records from peasants because they couldn't write because paper was paper was like cloth. It was like 
the mm-hmm. thing. If somebody gifted you a bunch of paper or a bunch of cloth, it was like, wow, you're really rich. That's mm-hmm. why I collect paper in my home. I have piles of it all over, and for, I can barely when, walk through my for home. For when things turn, yeah. <laughs> I also collect oil and matches, so <laughs> it's good. <laughs> I collect piles of green paper with <laughs> presidents on them, <laughs> which I exchange for goods and services. <laughs> That was a good story. Yeah. So the Han period. <laughs> yeah. Most higher ups in the Han period, we're talking the elite of the elite, like the cousin of the emperor and things like that, mm-hmm. or his court. There was a lot of very, very rich stuff going on in the capital. Nice. And men still wanted to use Man Yogana. They still wanted to use Kanji to write mm-hmm. because it was educa- It was so smart and highbrow and educated. Oh, yeah. And so you had all these women in the court who were also really educated and they were not supposed to use kanji. And so they started using the cursive style that no one that wasn't popular, that no one was using. And that's hiragana. So when you hear about the oldest, I think they've considered the oldest work of fiction, Tale of Genji, that was written in hiragana. Wait, so, so we went from manyogana mm-hmm. and then manyogana was too complicated so they made katakana but then some people still wanted to use manyogana because mm-hmm. it looked nice imagine people nowadays who use the british spelling with ou for color <laughs> because it makes you sound smarter and things okay. like that or someone who uses like really big words that are kind of outdated because it makes you sound smart I feel mm-hmm. like i feel like katakana is just like well it is a simplified version of the manyogana mm-hmm. so like it's just it's like shorthand kind of is that is that a thing? Usually that's more... And I wouldn't be caught dead writing that because I want to look sophisticated. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know it. But yeah, I see, I see what you mean. So picture what you think of as Chinese hand, like writing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of blocky. Katakana took like the blocky versions of that. It literally said, okay, these I'm going to take. Hiragana was like taking calligraphy and being like, okay, this is our cursive script. Okay. So they, they aren't, it's not like they took katakana and went, oh, we're going to make it prettier. Mm-hmm. It kind of derived from different things. When you look at basic kanji block letters, that's where katakana derived from. They took a certain number of characters and they said, okay, this one's read this way. We're going to take this portion of it. That's why sometimes you'll see mm. like katakana characters inside of kanji and be like, hey, wait a second. That's that. Mm-hmm. Hiragana was based off of a cursive script of Chinese calligraphy. Um, so that's why it's considered a cursive style. It's not as blocky. It's a lot of rounded characters and nobody was using that. It existed and all these elites were like, no, we're going to use the kanji system. I don't want to use this. So were they made at the same time? It was all of this was all of this was during the Heian period. Yeah. Okay. So women who were also elites were educated but they weren't quite educated to the level of men, so they never got to kanji. But they learned how to write, and they learned how to write with this cursive style. So you had women writing a lot. Like, what they did with their time was compose poetry, and um, they would go on outings together, and there were certain colors and clothes that you would wear for certain days. And it was actually really, really interesting, But they and they would write all of this down. And that's how you end up with, like, the pillow book which is another book that came out at the same time. Well, it was published much later. 
you have the tale of genji which is the first no- fiction novel and then you have the pillow book which is a series of diaries that were published later and these were written in hiragana because that's what women were allowed to write in and now today that's literally what we use like that same alphabet is is what we write in so there hasn't been cool. any change there was a little bit of change it wasn't exactly the same but it does look very very similar so for being so old you'd think it would have changed a lot but it really hasn't changed that much just a little bit (laughs) a little bit i mean it's like how many years like so this was around well this specifically was probably probably in the beginning so it was probably like the eight eight hundred ish ad that this was all going on that's like 1200 years it's Wait. old. Sure. <laughs> I, I literally yeah. am not going to do that math and I don't care. But it's very old. And actually, sometimes you'll hear hiragana referred to as onnade, which mm-hmm. is a combination between the kanji for onna woman and te for hand. Ooh. Oh. So it's oh, like the hand. woman's, th- well, yeah, it's like women's writing. And then there was also like a shorthand thing for uh, men's writing, which was also otokode. Why is that te being rendakud? <laughs> that doesn't seem right or natural. It feels it feels gross when you right? say it. Uh, Tokode? Well, yeah, yeah day sounds well. It's not that bad. Yeah, the more I say it, the more I like it. Mm-hmm. Maybe Kinda people like, just said it a lot. Yeah, it's like how when I look at myself in the mirror, the more I look at myself, the more I think <laughs> I'm not real. You yeah, know? it's just like that. <laughs> it's like the more you say spaghetti over and over, you yeah, f- loses all meaning. Yeah, and that. The hungrier you get. <laughs> that wasn't that funny, Michael. <laughs> it's really funny when I you re- have a mouthful of water. <laughs> I reject your laughter. <laughs> I do not accept it. So that's the origin <laughs> of the writing systems that are used today in Japan. Eventually, they did come to like a weird compromise where you use kanji. Some, you know, some vocabulary uses kanji. And sometimes there's extra outside. We'll talk about mm. that a little later. Yeah, okay. But mm-hmm. Hiragana and katakana are still used. Katakana is usually for loan words, mm-hmm. usually newer ones. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's used for emphasis, a lot in advertisements or signs. And hiragana is what you teach people first, usually, because it's a phonetic alphabet. You can spell anything in it, and it is the basis of the language. And then kanji is something that you learn later that is... For more educated people, you learn it in school, and there's a certain number you're supposed to learn for each grade, and that is com- entirely a holdover from, hey, this is the way we're supposed to be writing things because this is what makes you smart, and that's that's what Chinese people are, and that's where it comes from. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So okay, so we are kind of at that point where I think the next step is to to figure out how we got from Manyogana, where we're just taking the phonetic sounds of these hanji and we're changing them or we're just like putting them together to spell Japanese words. How did that, how did the Chinese characters become Japanese characters where like now you don't like you actually do take the meaning of a character, a kanji, and then it's the same as the Japanese meaning. And then you apply some things for the most part. So how did we get that transition? Let's take a step back. Obviously in Japan, there was language before they ever had any contact with any other (laughs) countries. And another thing to remember is that Japan, as we know it, was not a real thing. It was not these, oh, it's all these islands and they're all together. Like Hokkaido didn't join for a long time. You can forget about everything up there. It was basically, um, picture the Kyoto area. It was that with Mm. like a little bit on the outside. 
and yeah tokyo area was kind of like the wild land yeah right? and just forget about all the islands that aren't connected to honshu when china did come over they obviously people were learning classical chinese what we would think of as chinese at the time and eventually after all of this weird wholesale acceptance of only pronunciations or just the language you end up with saying, okay, we're going to write with our own language, but we like these characters, but we already have our own words. How are we going to do this? So in some cases, they would take a kanji for something they already had that had a reading and say, okay, we'll use both. We will use the word that you taught us with the reading you taught it with, and we will also use it for our word. And so you would get one reading that's Chinese and you get one reading that was Japanese. In other cases, if it was a concept or a thing that they did not have yet, they would take the character and the reading and that was it. It would not have a Japanese reading. This is for things like tea, cha. That's derived from really, really, really old Chinese. And it doesn't have a Japanese reading because tea didn't exist in Japan before China brought it there. So things that, that came from China probably just have a Chinese reading because they're like, hey, here's a word for it. And here's also the thing that you didn't know existed. Sometimes. <laughs> um, here's where it gets kind of tricky. There are some kanji in Japanese that you would think they have to have their own word for. Some examples of kanji that only have a Chinese reading. Doctor, like isha, e. Stomach, <laughs> another e. Hmm. Meat or flesh, niku, mm -hmm. does not have a Japanese reading. I mean, they weren't super into meat back then. <laughs> they must uh, have. Here's one that makes sense. Elephant, zol. Mm. Okay, probably didn't have elephants. Feeling. No one had feelings That's before. True. Kanji no kan. <laughs> <laughs> no feelings. Maybe you just, I, I no bet, one. I bet it's a little more complicated than that. Like, they might have been like, oh, we do have a word for that, but oh, yours is so good. That's possible. Yeah. <laughs> no, like, um, for ones like elephant or tea or like the concept of like an, a, a doctor in the way that China had it, that Japan definitely didn't. Mm -hmm. It makes sense that they took those words wholesale. And you see that today. Japan has a lot of loan words. It's a language that has always embraced the languages of other cultures. And it usually takes that word, kind of makes it sound a little Japanese in the way that they do at that time period, and then takes it. So when you look at a dictionary or you're learning Japanese for the first time, you'll see more than one reading, usually two. Almost always, kanji will have at least two readings. The onyomi reading, which is the derived Chinese reading, or the kunyomi reading, which is the original Japanese reading. All of these have slowly evolved over time, but that is their origin. And they're all used in slightly different contexts. But before we get into that, there's a complication. I'm so sorry. It's your fault. It's your <laughs> fault. Actually, it's China's fault. China, if you know anything uh, about China, which Koichi like obviously doesn't because he can't like pronounce any of the words. I feel like it's Japan's fault. But anyways. <laughs> anyway. I feel like it was Mr. Kang Jie's fault. <laughs> All his fault. The Phoenix did it. Mm -hmm. All right. So if you are a more advanced learner, or just intermediate, or if you're just like, yeah, I love kanji. Why are there so many Onyomi readings? Why are there so many Chinese readings? Why are there like three Chinese readings? Why? Well, there's why, only Kristen? one in China. <laughs> there, well, not not true. So what? <laughs> <laughs> there were three really big 
language introductions into Japan. The first one was that period we were talking about, like the fourth to the sixth century, that very first beginning when people were like, oh, wow, language, this is so great. That was called the Go-on shift. And that was when the Wu dynasty, I think they were in the West. Please, I don't know that much about it. I also haven't played Dynasty Warriors, so I'm not so sure. (laughs) But I know the guy with the beard and the green jacket was pretty cool. Yeah, okay, so it was him, sure. (laughs) I don't think so. That sounds, I don't remember that from Dynasty Warriors. He was king of the Wu Dynasty. Okay, so Wu Dynasty gave us... Was he? He might have been. Maybe I I should step back. Or is he the blue guy (laughs) with the spear? (laughs) When is he thinking he was a guy? Please tweet at us about how many Dynasty Warriors you have played. (laughs) Please tell us. Tell me who the the girl with the fans was. I played her. Anyway. (laughs) So from the 4th to the 6th century, the Wu Dynasty was in power. And if you know anything about China, you know that there were constant power shifts and struggles And the capital was always moving, sometimes to the west, sometimes to the north, sometimes lower down. And with the capital and the people in power changing, you have completely different dialects coming in and becoming the official, quote unquote, language of China. And if you know anything about Chinese dialects, you know that they are drastically different. Like if you just think about like how many different Like you have Cantonese and you have Mandarin. And that's just a small part. There are tons and tons and tons of Chinese dialects. Imagine if the place you're getting your language from has a new leader and then has a new language and then has a new capital. And that's where you're trying to get your stuff from. So you end up with three really distinct language shifts going from... Oh, geez. What is it? I was just going to say it's important not to think of China as you would today. Like, you have to think of it as, like, different countries. Like right. So there was totally a period when countries. Mongolia had power over Heck what we yeah, think of as China. Then we got pants. Pants and silks, and oh, we good. understood irrigation way better. Mm-hmm. Love those <laughs> Mongolians. <laughs> we'll have a Mongolian podcast next. <laughs> I would be so in for that. Anyway, the Mongols were great. They were. So, 4th to 6th century. That's where we are. The Wu Dynasty is in power. They're sending embassies through the Korean Peninsula. Korea is getting the language. Korea is sending embassies to Japan. Japan is fangirling all over those embassies and saying, oh, "Oh, give me your language, give me your language, let me write it down. To the point where when you read texts by Korean embassies, they're like, oh my God, these Japanese people. I think it's emissaries. Fuck. Let's go back. So when you read texts by these Korean emissaries, Hmm. (laughs) they're like, oh my God, these Japanese people are really annoying. And they're so dumb. They don't know anything. They don't have any language. I need them to get away from me. So they didn't like the the Japanese friends they made? So you have to remember, (laughs) they're taking like year-long pilgrimages on a boat from Korea to Japan, parading through every town they go through as like a huge, ooh, look at me. We're We're really cool. And all of the merchants in the area are like, hell yeah, we're making money. This is great. Mm -hmm. Buy this totally legit picture of an elephant that they did drew and was not an elephant, but they're lying about. And they didn't have elephants in Japan, as we learned from the kanji. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, that was fun. So Wu Dynasty, time goes by. Now we're in the 7th to 9th centuries. The Han Dynasty is in control. It's like, pretty sure they were farther north, maybe. Um, And so their version of kanji and Chinese started moving over to Korea and then moving over to Japan. And they pronounce things 
a little different or a lot different, but they still use the same kanji with the same meaning, right? And then, oh, it's 1185. Oh, it's right before, you know, it's the warring states period. Sometimes people call it, it's, well, it's before the Edo period, mm-hmm. right? And you have even more language coming over. And so the Han Dynasty is actually where we got most of our kanji. Most of the readings we have today are from that. And that is called kan-on. Kan like the kanji <gasps> for Oh. The kanji kan from kanji. It came That's from kan on. I think it came from kang ji, but whatever. Then you move on and you get into the Muromachi Warring States kind of period, right before the Edo period. And that's when we get to on, which some people think it's the Tang Dynasty. It's not. It's the Chinese. It's to for China. Chinese pronunciation, which is the closest to current day Mandarin. So sometimes if you see a character that is using the toll reading, it can be, oh, like that's kind of like the Mandarin that I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where it came from. But then that leaves us with all of these kanji with the same meaning, with not only a Japanese meaning and reading, but they end up with three different onyomi or Chinese readings. So you have four or more readings to know because they're all used in different words. So I have some examples here. Please. That I thought up by myself and didn't look up our article. Definitely my work. Thank you. Um, like, for example, the, the, the kanji that means head, there's three readings for it, three Chinese readings, onyomi readings. The goon reading, which is from the 4th to 6th century, which is the Wu Dynasty pronunciation, is zu. The kanon reading which is from the Han Dynasty, 7th and 9th century, is To. And finally, the Toon reading, which is the uh, 1185 to 1573, the quote-unquote Chinese pronunciation, is Ju. So like, you might see any of these readings with this kanji. And of course, there's the Japanese Kunyomi re- reading for head, which is Atama. So like, this has four different readings. And if you're ever studying kanji and you're trying to learn a kanji, you see that it has a bunch of readings. That's what's going on. Mm-hmm. Usually so one of them is going to be better than the rest, though. But not necessarily, unfortunately. Usually. So there here, are exceptions. Yeah, so here's a good um, example of a really basic kanji, the kanji for down or below, mm-hmm. shita. Yeah, that one right? comes up all the time. There are a lot of words that are new that you'll see with it, like chikatetsu, subway, ika, for like less than... Um, what's another good one? Roka. Roka. Yep. Always, which they totally didn't have before. And they all have <laughs> the ka reading, but right. you also have words like geta, like the clogs you see mm. people wear in old timey towns. You have gehin, which is a word for crude or vulgar. And those readings use ge. And you can see that like geta are very obviously older than subways. Mm-hmm. And you have to know both of these readings. But depending on the context, depending on what you're reading, depending on what you're doing with your Japanese, one of them could be more important than the other. And you should learn one before the other. But like, you're going to have to learn both eventually, which can be really difficult. But you can blame China for that because they kept having different leaders and different languages and different capitals. And it's all their fault. Well, I would blame Japan personally. <laughs> For letting I, in so I much have language. A question. Yeah, that yeah. was my yes. question. Was like after the first wave of, you know, readings, Japan's like, Oh cool, thanks for the readings. And then <laughs> like the neck the new people come in power and they're like, 
hey, we got some new readings for you. <laughs> Why didn't Japan be like, uh, that's cool. We already got all our <laughs> we readings. Got some good Thanks. Ones. Well, a lot of them were completely new words. Remember, these are centuries apart, right? So at the time, Kanon, the Han Dynasty one, the one right in the middle, that was always considered, oh, well, this is the correct reading. So there was a little bit of a hierarchy in there, hmm. which is why most of the readings are Kanon. They're from the, the 7th to 9th century. So why not just take all of those readings? Because, I mean, they're, they're already applying Japanese words, Japanese readings to these kanji. So it's not like they're, they're like, oh, okay, I got to do the right one. That's another problem, but too. not always. Not all of these, not all these Chinese emissaries are going to the same place or the same, mm. right? So Japan mm. was very fragmented during these years. So, so you could get a reading in one part of the country and a reading in another one. Generally, they would go to the capital, but the capital in Japan was also moving. Like in the Heian period, the capital would move around. It would move into different cities. Like if there was a flood, oh, we have to move the capital. It's been defiled. Like if someone died, they'd literally within the capital city, they would move the palace. When women were on their period, they would have to move to a different place so that they didn't defile the home that they stayed in. And it was, there was a lot of stuff about like the idea of defilement. And when something bad happens, you have to pick up and move. So China was moving around and Japan was moving around and all of these language innovations were happening and it was all getting jumbled up together. So what you're saying is it's Tokugawa's fault. <laughs> not Wait, how? Well, he united the nation. He should have united it sooner, is what you mean. And better, and then been like, nope, this is the Tokugawa reading. And then came up with his own readings. Oof. He should have been born earlier. Yeah. And taking care of business. He should have changed all the, the readings period. to poo. Poo-poo. <laughs> poo-poo got poo-poo. Poo-poo-poo-mas. So, <laughs> another thing I'd like to say. Please. <laughs> Again, if you know anything about Chinese, even if you know Mandarin, you can say, well, the, the, the Chinese reading, it, it isn't really Chinese. And that's because Japan has a lot less sounds. It's mm -hmm. less diverse than Chinese. Chinese has um, phonemes in their pitches. They have basically each pitch can mean something different. So in Japanese, you can say fu or hu, and people will think, oh, well, that's one thing. But if you said like food or hood in ja in English, you know that's two different things because f and h have phone two phonemes in English and one in Japanese. Uh, huck that. <laughs> Chinese has a ton, right? So all of these readings are also getting simplified into the Japanese words that they could use. They're phonemes, right? So instead of getting the actual pronunciation, you're also like getting it dumbed down into Japanese. I, dumbed down is the wrong word, but when you're taking something that's really diverse and making it into something smaller confines, it's kind of what it is. So they're not even the same readings that you would have gotten. They've been changed and they've been adapted. And that's the onyomi that we have. Yeah, the tones are removed. Yep. Ah, Japan, you're just like the Hawaii of Asia. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> How are they the Hawaii know. of Asia? Hawaii only has 11 letters. Oh. Anyways. That was a bad comparison. Well, it makes sense once you just explained wanted, it. I just want to throw out some, <laughs> some Hawaii letter knowledge. <laughs> so, Koichi, Hi. would you like to talk about uh -oh. how you're supposed to figure out what to use when? Like if there's all these onyomi readings, if there's all these kunyomi readings, how do you know what to say when? Well, everyone has their own opinion on it. There's different ways of doing it, obviously. Eventually, okay, just think about the end goal for, say, say a kanji has four different readings. Say there's three onyomi readings and 
and one kunyomi reading or two kunyomirimis or whatever. There's a bunch of readings. The end goal is you got to learn them all, right? So let's keep that in mind. That we're all trying to get to the same end goal, everybody. So um, stop pushing. So stop pushing. <laughs> what? <laughs> pushing what? <laughs> Everyone's going to go to the same place, so stop yeah. punching each other. Never mind. <laughs> keep true. going. We're all going to get there. Ignore we're what I said. We're all going to get there at our own speeds. It's just that our speed is faster. Mm-hmm. Because we're in the fast lane. No. Um, but, okay, so everyone has the same end goal. Like, like everybody wants you to learn that for this, uh, for the, the kanji for bright, you have to learn myo, you have to learn mei, you have to learn min, and uh, akarui, right? So there's all these things you got to learn. Uh, the question is how you go about doing that, right? And so the, I guess the traditional way, the, the way that most people do it is they basically get a kanji and they kind of get a list of readings, right? Uh, sometimes it'll be pared down to just a kunyomi and just an onyomi, but that's still two readings that you got to think about. Uh, sometimes it's more than one onyomi. Depends on what resource you're using. But usually the, the kanji test that you get, it'll be like, hey, answer all these readings. Right? Is that is that your guys' experience? Maybe? I've just mine. used wanikani, so yeah. I've never experienced that. Okay. So that's a good segue. I can mm-hmm. say that usually when you're trying to self-study, I've seen a lot of people use a dictionary and those dictionaries are going to show all those mm-hmm. readings and they just try to cram them all and they have no idea which one's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's really tough that's to a good see. Point. Yeah, not all these readings are created equal, right? So sometimes they are, but a lot of the kanji, it's like one of the readings is, you're going to see it like 90% of the time or, or the vocabulary that uses it are like so common that those are going to show up 90% of the time. And so you're, you're talking about, like if you are learning like three different readings for a kanji, and one of the readings is like 90% of the use, and another one is 7%, and the other, another one is 3%. Like, you're spending the same amount of time learning all these different readings, but really only one of them is important. And once again, we are eventually going to learn all of these readings, but it's going to be much easier if you associate just one reading with one kanji, sort of a, a one-to-one memory association. Um, so the way I suggest people do it is to choose one reading and to not actually think about all this onyomi, kunyomi stuff. Just the amount of questions that come in to our email about like, how do I figure out the onyomi and the kunyomi and blah, 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 blah. That's what all of our readers sound <laughs> like. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, sorry, I got so, I, I was method acting. I got so into them. <laughs> I forgot you what I was going to say. When, when people, when people <laughs> want to know, how do I learn them all? Yeah, yeah. And like, I, I think, I think it's better just to learn one reading. And that, that includes kunyomi in there as well. So like all the readings, kunyomi, onyomi, whatever. Finding the one that will get you the most bang for your buck with that kanji and learning that one reading with that kanji. Do you want to give some examples? The kanji for, I guess it'd be life would probably be the best meaning for it. It's that one kanji. It has I'm, five I'm, strokes. I'm showing everybody right now. and it's you can see It's a cow on the ground. <laughs> it's a cow on the ground. <laughs> um, anyways, it's, it's the kanji for life. It's pretty simple. Uh, it's either nama, it could be sei, it could be uh, sho, mm-hmm. it can be u if you're doing the akunyomi, it could be an e if you're doing kunyomi, it can be a ha if you're doing kunyomi as well. It has a lot of readings. But if you take this one kanji, figure out what is the most important reading, which I think is sei, mm-hmm. learn that with that kanji. First of all, it's a lot easier to just learn one reading. It's not, it's not like it's twice as hard to learn two readings with the kanji. I think it's exponential. Like the more readings you learn with the kanji, like exponentially, the more difficult it becomes just because you're trying to like memorize the same type of thing with the kanji multiple times. And then those things get confused with each other, uh, like you're crossing wires. So anyway, so you learn the one reading and then you learn the rest of the readings through vocabulary. 
So the vocabulary, of course, they're going to take all these other readings. Like we have nama, which is one of the readings. You have umu to give birth, uh, ikiru to get to live. Uh, that way, you're having a one-to-one -one memory relationship with these vocabulary words and the readings for these vocabulary words, rather than for this kanji. And then by learning say for this kanji, when you don't know a reading for a word. You can go ahead and just guess that it's say, and you might not be right, but because it's like the most important, it's the most common reading. Like there's a good chance that you're going to be right. So like you're just learning the one that gives you the most benefit for the least amount of time, and then you're learning the rest through vocabulary as you need you need to. And like not all these vocabulary are created equal as well. You have like readings that are kind of weird. Hairu is probably not as common, but like things like umu and ikiru, they're pretty important, and you're going to learn those because they are important. They are common. So it's like you're kind of naturally going to learn the things that are important, but say is the most important. So you do that. Um, the question that probably you're asking right now is, how do I know what which one is important? And there's a few different ways to do that. I'd recommend uh, checking out our article on how to learn kanji with radicals or the radical mnemonic method, because it goes over at that in there. Um, but basically, there's a few different ways. You can either go with a resource that's already done it for you, like uh, Wani Kani does it, uh, Kanji Damage does it, probably somebody else does it. But uh, one thing you can do is you can search for vocabulary words that use the kanji in like Jisho. If you do like asterisk the kanji and another asterisk, put that in the Jisho, it'll show you all the vocabulary words that use that kanji. And so you can see like, okay, what are all the common words? Okay, how many times does each reading come up? And you'd be like, okay, this reading comes up 70% of the time. And so you can know, okay, this is probably the reading I should learn. And the, you know, you might not be right all the time, but it's it's a good way to go about doing it. But Basically, I think you should, when you think about a kanji, instead of thinking about onyomi, kunyomi, all these other things, you should just think about the reading for a kanji. And that'll make your life so much easier, and you will like achieve the same goal in the end. And in the long run, I think it'll be faster. Boom. Rant over. It's true. The rant is true. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, uh, going to your example about the cow on the ground, mm -hmm. the life one, since I only ever learned with Wani Kani, I learned it exactly the way you said. So it's like, oh, cool. Here's the reading. And then when it comes to the vocabulary words, I'm like, oh, yeah, here you go. Ikiru. And it's to live. And it's like, cool. I remember this one from life because it means life. Oh, umare is birthplace. Yeah, birth is like life. I got it. Cool. Like I'm never, no one's ever, well, hopefully no one's ever going to pull a gun on me and make me recite all of the onyomi for the cow on the ground kanji. Yeah, I mean, then I'll be in trouble. But as long as I always see them with vocabulary, then I'm fine. And yeah. that's how you will see them, too. Mm -hmm. Right. And another argument for like when you pick that best reading, the odds are it's probably going to be an Onyomi reading. Mm -hmm. um, well, that's a good point. And the reason why it's so beneficial to learn the Onyomi reading first is that usually those are going to be found in kanji compounds. Mm hmm. So two kanji or more together, a lot of the time, those use the onyomi readings. The whole word in there will use all the onyomi readings, which is really handy if you have learned all of the onyomi readings first and you recognize it as, oh, okay, this is the kanji reading. So it's with other kanji. It's those readings together. And with the life kanji, say, is what you're going to see almost all of the time when it's with other kanji. Sometimes it will be show, which is the other... <sighs> Reading. But again, we're using a really difficult kanji as an example. Mm -hmm. Not difficult with writing it or recognizing it, but difficult when, with how many readings it has. And if you recognize it as, well, it's say, you're going to be right most of the time. And even if you did know all the other readings and you saw a word, a compound word that included it, you still wouldn't know how to read it just by looking at it, right? You wouldn't be like, oh, I know this one's say, even though I'm seeing this for the first time, or I know this one's show. 
No, you're just going to guess. But if you know the one that's the most common, then at least that guess has a higher percentage chance of being right. Mm -hmm. And then everything else is just an exception. And there's going to be a lot of exceptions. That's Shinzo Abe's fault, <laughs> if anybody. <laughs> and Tokugawa's fault. Yeah, for not getting on that kanji simplification. It kind of makes me think of like, remember that era in American history where they tried to make all the words sound like the pronunciations? Wait, in America? Yeah, no. we weren't alive, so I don't know I don't why you'd remember this. it. But <laughs> yeah, one of the presidents was like, let's make all the words spelled the way we pronounce it. Hmm. And it just sounded awful. What's that? I don't know. Probably I mean, like Kennedy or something. I have no idea. That was the first president that came to mind. <laughs> yeah. At one point, English did sound the way it's spelled still. But I mean, language evolves and mm -hmm. our writing system did not evolve. And if we tried to go back, that would be a terrible idea. Maybe if we created a new writing system that made sense with English so that Ooh. foreign learners could be like, oh, this makes so much more sense. It's phonetic, like Ugh. Japan's two alphabets. It would be way easier to learn English spelling because that's why it's so difficult right now. Um, because like Japanese, we also have roots in other languages, mm -hmm. which is why we have water or like aqueduct is water pipe, you know, mm -hmm. but we don't say water pipe. We say aqua from, you know, an aquaman is really water man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's just water, water man. Mm -hmm. uh, so we do have similar you know, hey, we we took some things from one language and one from another, like Japan does. So if you think about it that way, it's not as complicated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're all stealers of language. Yeah, that's how language works. All right, well, this is getting pretty heavy, so I think it's time for a segment that we like to call <laughs> Kanji Fun Facts with Kristen. Are you trying not to steal some song, or are you trying to copy a song? I just don't know what it is. Is that the Prise is Rigahut? What? What? I was kind of doing Prices Right, but I don't know which one. The Prise is Rigahut. Oh, I see what's happening. Let's not do that This is how language is now, right? Oh, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm ahead of the curve on the oh, English language. I see. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to introduce Kristen's fun, fun segment. Mm -hmm. That was the theme song for it. All right. I'm going to talk about some fun kanji facts. Kanji facts. If you are really tired of hearing this podcast today and you're not interested in this, just turn it off. You're not going to like this. Skip, skip to the end skip where we read the reviews. Yeah, but make sure. sure to subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, subscribe before you turn me off. Yeah. So did you know that there are six different types? Oh, thanks. There are six different types of kanji. What? what? Six whole different types. Remember how I was talking at the very beginning about how only 600 or so kanji are pictograms? Yes. That mm -hmm. means that they're like, ooh, I once, a tree was just a drawing of a tree and now it's like a stylized <sighs> Those version. Were the days. That is just one of the six types of kanji. Wait a minute. Mm -hmm. Pictogram is one of six types. Mm -hmm. What are the other five? There are more. So the first one because some of them kind of build off of each other, oh. is ideograms, really simple ones. So an ideogram is basically, if a pictogram is a picture of something that you can actually see, an ideogram is something that expresses an abstract idea. Like the kanji for love? What is nope. love? Nope. Oh, um, I'm losing. Cl Close-ish, but no. Uh, think of smaller. So... What's abstract? The idea of counting one, two, three. The idea oh. of one, two, three is abstract because you're not saying like tree, tree, tree. Mm, no, you're saying, oh, one tree, two, th tree, three tree. 
So we have in Japanese, one line is one, two lines is two, three lines and, and is in, three. And Chinese as well. And Chinese. <laughs> I think maybe they came up with it. I'm not sure though. What? I don't want them to get angry. I've never heard of that before. They don't listen to this podcast. So yeah, so these these were taken know. from taken from China. Let's not forget about that. Oh. So what are some other are there any other abstract ideas you can think of? Okay. Okay. So there's ideograms. The number zero. Oh, that's that's another number though. Yeah. That's another number. Uh, Try again. Feelings. Uh, fe- ooh, good one. Well. What? Yeah, uh, feelings aren't of, real. Okay, Michael. let's <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's try learned. something kind of, but let's try something simpler. So, how about up and down? How do you express up and down? Mm, In English, you might think, "Ooh, like an arrow up or an arrow down." Well, right. if you know the kanji for up and down, what is up when we're in space? <laughs> the kanji for up and is what is down? Oh my god! <laughs> Come to think of it, okay. In sorry. space, are you done? Yep. <laughs> the kanji for up mm-hmm. is a flat line on the bottom, mm-hmm. a line intersecting it, and then a smaller line above that baseline. Ooh, I know it's this one. marking that to say, look, this line is above. Oh. Below is basically that flipped, right? <gasps> so you have the long line on top, and then the little line is kind of coming out below it. There are similar things. So if you wanted to say root, in Japanese, um, if you don't mm. really aren't too familiar with kanji, you'll know it as home book Ooh. that originally meant root and it still does in compounds. Mm-hmm. It's a tree with mm. a line where the roots would be oh, a line saying, hey, this is the root part. Are you saying that kanji have little lines to mark like locations? in them? Some of them do. Yeah. So we also that. have if That's you cool. take a tree and you make a long line on the top, that kanji, which now like sue can mean like end. It originally meant top. It meant top. It's the top of the tree. Top of tree, bottom of tree. And those are the simple ideograms that we have in Japanese. They're not pictograms. Like, what is root? So there's pictograms, ideograms, and then like directioniograms? Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) The next thing we have is compounds made with those ideograms. They're called ideogramic compounds, Mm. right? And they're basically two or more ideograms combined to suggest a third meaning. Oh, no. Okay. Not so again. we're talking <laughs> Not about like a lot this. of we're talking about a lot of trees, right? Uh-huh. So if you take a tree and you put it next to another oh, tree, no. you have a grove. Ooh. Hayashi. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You take three trees and put them together, and you have a forest. Mori. That is mm. an ideogrammic compound. Let's talk about some more because those are those are really simple. You learn them very early, right? Mm-hmm. How about the kanji for man? You have mm. a field, a rice paddy on top, mm-hmm. and then the kanji for strength power if you have strength in the field that's a man damn you japan <laughs> I, thought, I thought ladies do a lot of the work they sure do yeah. <laughs> they sure do someone making kanji was trying to to rewrite <laughs> history i guess here's another less someone uh, in china though oh that's right mm. i'm wrong Here, here's a less uh it was mr kanji one so you have right and left a lot of people have a really hard time telling the difference mm-hmm. between right and left when they start. They're like, why are these different? I don't understand. So the first one you have on Wanikani, we call it a narwhal because it looks like the katakana yeah. na, right? Mm-hmm. That a long, long time ago. Well, it looks used like to, a narwhal. Yeah, it's kind of, we did a, someone did a drawing of it. It's yeah. very beautiful. That used to be a hand, right? It's very, very old. Nobody really thinks of it that way anymore. But it was hand plus mouth. 
hand to mouth, right? You use your right hand to eat. Mm-hmm. What? Left. Left. There were no left-handed people. You is hand out of them with the the kanji we think of today as con- construction or work. So you use hand to work. That's your left hand. You use your right hand to eat and your left hand to work. I so use it my right hand for both personally. Today. <laughs> but think about um, there are even some cultures today where you mm-hmm. your left hand is for like wiping your, your bum butt, butt or stuff, yeah. you know mm-hmm. and your right hand is for eating you only eat or touch other people's hands with your right hand that's where the idea of right and left the kanji came from mm, i bet there's one one dude out there who does the opposite and only he knows <laughs> <laughs> and he just like smiles every time he shakes someone's hand with a knowing smile that only he knows <laughs> I think it's you. Is it you? You ever wonder why I shake people's hands with my right hand? Like everyone else. <laughs> like everyone else. My hand kind of hurts because I've been drawing all these that on my smile. hand. Okay, I, so how many have we we've done four? That's no, that's three. That's three. So the fourth one, this is the one the that matters the most. Fact. So after you've learned the basics, which is a tree looks like a tree, a mountain looks like a mountain. Mm. Put them together, they look like other stuff. Awesome, right? You get over 90% of the kanji actually are. They're phonosemantic compounds. So phonosemantic basically means that one half is the meaning. It implies mm. what the meaning could have something to do with. And then the other half is implying the reading. So I have some examples. And hopefully there's, these are simple enough. But if any of you um, are familiar with basic kanji, if you're using Genki or whatever book you're using, you've definitely... Or that, that one, that good old, that good old Wanikani juice. Oh, is that uh, a ghost? Is that the ghost of Kong Ji talking to us? I'll I'll use the Wanikani um, radicals when I'm explaining them, but also say like the, the stereotypical one. So on the left, you usually have what is implying the meaning. On the right, you usually have what's implying the reading. Okay, picture on the left. For those of you who's who use Wanikani, it's the tsunami. Radical. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for those of you who don't use Wanikani, that's generally the alternative water radical. For auditory learners, that's a bloop, bloop, bloop on yep. the left side. <laughs> it, it sure is. Um, then, okay, picture the right side now. You have the kanji for sheep, hitsuji. Ba. Which, that's the right the, side. yeah, that's <laughs> the ba, the ba. Or sorry, me is the Japanese version. My bad. <laughs> Now, we, we only care on the right side about the reading, right? We don't mm-hmm. care that it's a sheep. But the reading for that is yo, okay? <gasps> so you have water and yo. Put those together and you have the kanji for ocean. <laughs> water, sheep, the meaning is ocean, the reading is yo. What? Wait a minute. That's the kanji you see in like Pacific Ocean, things like that. It's not like umi, like sea. So it's like, okay, here on your left side, if you look to your left of the bus you'll <laughs> see the meaning which is what a bunch of water mm-hmm. you look to the right side of the bus here's how you're going to read it mm-hmm. and now mm-hmm. we're done with the tour yep thanks what that's how it works that's how n- over 90 percent of the kanji sometimes 90 percent of the time <laughs> <laughs> sometimes <laughs> over 90 percent of the 90% time 90 percent of the time so every time one let's do another example picture on the left here's the meaning you have the kanji for day he like sun he Day. Um, yeah. What's the sound? On the right, you have the reading, which is G for temple. That G. 
Mm-hmm. Put those two together and you have time. Reading is G, meaning is time, because what happens with days, right? So Michael looks very upset. I'm just like seeing through the matrix right now. So this is a lot of kanji. And if you've ever met a Japanese person or maybe even someone else who's learning Japanese who can look at a kanji and say, oh, the reading's probably this. It's because of this pattern. They're saying, oh, well, the right side is this. It's obviously read yo. This doesn't work 100% of the time, but a lot of the time it works. Some, you can't always infer the reading or the meaning because it's it can be difficult to kind of inf- like figure out oh well yeah, do these really go together if you see the sun you might not be like oh time you might be like hot mm-hmm. round my eyes though some of them do work together that way um because some of them are those other ideogrammic compounds where the meanings do matter together but in in other cases it's hey i know what the reading's going to be because it's this and i know it's going to have something to do with water Hmm. And that's how most kanji work. Dun, bum, dun. I'm just kind of speechless. Right okay, now. I want another kanji fact. Okay. Unless we're done. Well, there are there are um, two more types of kanji. Uh, they're super small in comparison to the rest. They really don't matter. Um, one is derivative cognates, which is kind mm. of the least understood yes. of all of them. It basically means that some <laughs> characters have similar meanings and readings, but don't actually mean the same thing. So if you have like ongaku, the gaku in that, that means music, but it can also be read raku, which means like comfort or um, in, in something's enjoyable. That's the same kanji, but it has two separate readings and meanings. Those are unique from each other. Hmm. That There aren't that many, but that's one example. And then the last one is phone- phonetic loan characters, which is... Ateji, things like that, where mm. they're borrowing maybe the reading or the meaning or both from another language. It's kind of like what they were doing with Manyogana, stealing the phonetic part and not the other, the meaning. Um, but there are a ton of different kinds of those. And we actually have an article on it uh, called Weird Kanji that I wrote a long time ago. Like sushi is it. one of those. Sushi is one of those. Word. So what's the kanji for sushi, Koichi? So <laughs> so. The first one, su, is like longevity. And then she would be like, I don't know, like director. Mm-hmm. Something yeah, like long, that. Longe- so like longevity director. Is sushi. Delicious. Because mm, yeah. when you eat sushi, it becomes a director in your body that tells the rest of your <laughs> organs to live longer. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, those meanings don't mean anything. And sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes it'll be like, well, we took the meanings from this. Right. So we use a different um, reading. Like, uh, tobacco. The tobacco is just tobacco in Japanese, but there are kanji for it. It's the kanji for smoke and the kanji for grass. Because nice. that's hmm. that's what it is. So yeah. they took the word tobacco and they were like, yeah, I like this. They're like, hey, we could just we could just make kanji for this. We got this. We got this. The hobbit grass we love eating. Smoke grass. They're gobbling it down like a hungry hobbit. And sometimes they they borrowed <laughs> jeez. Sometimes they borrowed both too, like um uh that kanji for abacus and like razor, all of those. Inaka is a good one. Inaka has the readings from the kanji that it uses and the readings make sense and the so do the the kanji. It's fun. So those are some kanji facts for you. 
So in, in conclusion, kanji is really cool. Kanji is really cool. Please. The more you know about it, the easier it gets. The it's more true. fun it gets. It's none of this stuff feels cool when you first start learning it. It feels very overwhelming and mm -hmm. awful and painful and difficult. But if you can just work through that, it just gets more and more interesting. And it's like it's like you're discovering new things. Yeah, once start, discovering new friends. Once things start clicking, then you're like, oh, yeah, you make connections. Yeah, like just learning about how you know, the left side and the right side could help you learn mm -hmm. stuff. That's cool. Yeah. It's cool, guys. This is like, this is like your first field, school field trip to the, the landfill. <laughs> you guys do that? <laughs> no. Nope. Okay. Didn't Definitely. Go to the landfill. I went to the landfill about five times um, in my elementary school. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm sorry. And the water treatment plant. <laughs> what? I went to a sewage plant okay. once. Okay, there you go. So I guess Now multiply that by like five. And every year, <laughs> nowhere and nowhere else <laughs> did we go. Oh no, we went to the weird pioneer place. Okay, oh. yeah, where everyone there. was like, "Oh, what is that strange clothes you're wearing?" For those of you on the East Coast, <laughs> I went to Sturbridge Village every year. What? It's in Massachusetts, Sturbridge? and it's the best. Sturbridge Village. For those of you in Indiana, I went to Connor Prairie. I don't remember what mine was called, but we made arrowheads, and that was fun. <laughs> made them? Yeah, you didn't make arrowheads. Yeah, Absolutely we made candles. Not. Well, I did arrowheads you can stab people with. So. I did pottery. Yeah. I, I would sit in the pottery place where the guy was making pots all day. My parents would just leave me there <laughs> and go do oh. other things. You're left with the pot, man. I just really liked <laughs> it. I didn't want to go. down that hobbit grass. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> Please tell us um, the, the old-timey home, uh, old-timey village you went to in school as all a right, kid. That's our action item number one. Uh -huh. Yeah, if you do it. Let's get to that part. I'll send you a, a sticker. Whoa, you're going to be sending <laughs> a lot of envelopes, Kristen. I right. think you're uh, overestimating. How, how, should she, how should they send that information uh, to you? Tweet it at Tofugu. Uh-huh, and use the hashtag. Use the hashtag. Hungry Hobbit Grass. Yeah, <laughs> sure, fine. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to okay it can't be like you googled it i need like some kind of history like when i was in second grade i went here and a horse ate my pants in 140 characters and that includes hungry hobbit grass was that yes. what it was just i want to see your sturbridge village mm -hmm. and if Show it's plymouth work. rock that doesn't count because what? that's not an old-timey village plymouth oh. rock is a place and it's just a dumb rock you look down at through a hole. So oh. don't even start with me. That doesn't count. And you can't put Connor Prairie because that's my one. And you can't put mine in <laughs> whatever it is. <laughs> what was mine? Was it like Discovery Village or something? I don't know. Did you go to Discovery Zone? <laughs> I wish. I could love Discovery Zone. Yeah. I loved getting like rabies or whatever the kids got from the balls. <laughs> Oh yeah, well, I was super. <laughs> there were like I love that place though. There weren't like dogs and cats in those ball pits. I tried to procrastinate, try not to get to the poop, end guys. to get poop. to that rainbow rolly slide that pinched your butt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I always got shocked by like the static electricity mm. in the tube slide. Mm -hmm. Discovery Zone had like a box of rocks, right? Because that's all I care about. A box <laughs> of rocks. <laughs> what you're talking about? Wait, wait, wait. We're, Maybe I'm we're going to out. different Discovery Zones. Yeah, Discovery Zone was like a big... Oh, was it a play place? Discovery yeah, it was like a big, a giant oh, play place. Oh, no. I went to a place Discovery that was called... Discovery Zone. It must have been like a one-off, like not a chain. Because yeah. I went to a place like a in the mall, museum. and it was small, and it had like... Look at these... Remember that these time you were criticizing rocks? us yeah. for like going way off topic? Well, 
Welcome to the club. Hey, man. Welcome to the club. <laughs> we want you here. It's the You're end of awesome. the podcast. I just it's the spit, part of the podcast where we talk all over for six hours hand. about Discovery Zone. <laughs> Why did you spit on your hand? You guys made me laugh while I was oh. drinking, and it got well, all over my. That rings. happens. To I'm me, like, sorry, but not sorry because laughing is good. Yeah, mm-hmm. spitting. Well, that's just the result. Okay, that was of one action. The moral item. of the story. One action item. Kanji is really cool. There's a ton of stuff you can learn. <laughs> There's fun facts everywhere. If you want to like chill and talk about kanji or like what dictionary you use, that's something you can tweet me about. Other than Plymouth Rock not being a place. Anyway. And, and you're going to get some stickers. Yeah, you'll get some stickers. Yeah, oh, man. I'm very lonely. Talk to me or follow me on Twitter. <laughs> 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 no, we'll talk to me about kanji in the office. What? what? I'm so alone. I talk to you about kanji. I say, remember that cow on the ground one? <laughs> it's so good. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. So, ugh. Just I'm. So I just wanted to say it was so titillating, and I can't say that. What's a word that's titillating but not that word? Um, enthusiating. No, like the conversation is so. I like titillating. Fine. <laughs> ooh, ooh! I have a kanji uh, fact. Oh, what's your what's your kanji fact? It's going back to Mr. Kangjie. No. <laughs> so, but this is ba- this is in 1976, where someone made an input method for computers like where you could use a QWERTY keyboard that's a regular keyboard for you regular folk and you could type in uh you can type in chinese characters or hanji using this keyboard and i think it was 24 keys 24 25 keys something like that were assigned basically like radicals they're not actually radicals but they're like you know parts of kanji and you would use those to to type in whole kanji so like you just like basically type the radicals in the correct order to make a kanji and it would actually output as like regular letters and then and then be converted over to kanji that's amazing later it's so weird and so like it would just like try to combine these radicals into a kanji depending on what you typed in and so i think gosh i i I can't quite remember but it was like by doing this you could actually create new kanji it's like the algorithm would just like create new stuff. And I think it was like, it was something like, it was something crazy. It was like 5,000 out of the 15,000 characters it could create were just fake. We're just made what? up by just typing in random letters. Oh my gosh. For the amount of people that like, if Spellcheck didn't tell them something was spelled wrong, like if Spellcheck yeah. could just make stuff up, people would be spelling stuff completely wrong all mm-hmm. the time. There's like five Especially S's in necessary now. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's no squiggly line under it. That's right. We've become so... Uh, so indoctrinated by, by yeah. squigs. We've all this, become uh, dumbinated. This, this input method is super interesting. Like people, uh, people who are really good at it, like uh, they can. <laughs> <laughs> and okay, so like, so like people are like pretty good at. It. They were able to type like twenty-five characters a minute, and then people who are really good at it. They were able to do like sixty characters per minute. And then another report said 200 characters per minute. So nope, that's like, nope. Wow. Mm-hmm. But like they were saying that like people who are typing, they didn't actually, they stop. It's kind of like how we're typing really fast. You don't really think about it. They're just like able to type the characters without thinking. Like by like just typing in these combinations. Were of they keys. only saying like the dog goes to the barn, the dog goes to the barn, <laughs> like over and over? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not like checking on these, these <gasps> Kong input method. What's what's that typing game that you can play in Japanese arcades with a keyboard? 
Typing of the Typing Dead. of the Dead. Yes. If they had that with that system, wow. I would play it. And I That'd would be fail hard. because I'm terrible at normal typing of the dead because they use those old lumpy keyboards. And I can't it's type so on hard. those anymore. Mm-hmm. I need flat. Well, anyway, like none of this matters. Uh, kanji so is great. I'm going to say it again. You should look up this kanji input method. It's super cool. Like, like look at this. Look at this stuff that you guys can't see. Like, oh. look, they're Ooh. just like writing this and then boom, a kanji pops out. <laughs> writing this, boom, a kanji comes out. Here you go, Michael. You can see it. Yeah, now it's being pointed towards me. Ooh, I see the kanji. Type in all those and boom, pops it out. Type those in and boom, pops it out. It's exciting. That is pretty cool. Yeah, right. Yeah, we don't even need QWERTYs no more. Just with twenty-four keys, twenty-four different radicals, you combine them together to create, like what? I think it was fifteen thousand. Fifteen thousand, five thousand of which do not exist. Oh, actually, okay. So fifteen thousand characters, ten thousand don't exist. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's a much worse percentage. Actually, <laughs> actually described in the manual as like automatic generation of Giant characters. warning. Hey, uh, so. Super cool. Which is, it's kind of neat because like, of course, as we know, Kang Jie made all the characters by himself. So it's. Speaking mm-hmm. of making up like characters. Oh my gosh. I totally forgot. Japanese mm-hmm. people made up their own kanji. I make up my own kanji They're too. called kokuji. <laughs> like literally like koku, like na- nation, like mm-hmm. national kanji. And they just kind of put some of them together. I mean, together. they look good. They do look good. They, they look, look really like good. real kanji. You would never, ever, I mean, ever know. Like, what is kanji other than smaller kanji? So, okay. Put together. Picture this. Done. Fire. <gasps> next to a rice paddy. Ooh. Is a field. Hatake. It's a Japanese yeah, word. Only sense. has a kunyomi reading. Did they, did they Princess burn? Hime. Only in Japan. They put those together. Mm, yes. What are some other ones? Some other ones. How about <laughs> Mountain Pass? It's a mountain with up and down. <laughs> that makes sense because you go up and down a mountain. Yeah. But what is up? There's other ones like... <laughs> what is down? For a bunch of f- different types of fish, like sardines, they just kind of like put the, con- like yeah, the fish, fish and then put like, <laughs> all right, it's a small one or it's so over here. And so there are tons of different like made up fish ones. Those tiny subservient people are so clever. Um, <laughs> this is a really basic word you probably learned, komu, like crowded. Mm-hmm. That one is, yeah, weird. well, yeah, it's, well. A road? Yeah, it's a road with um, a enter. enter. So it but too many people are entering the road, it makes it crowded. That is a kokuji. Japanese people made that. It's not a Chinese kanji. You won't How find cool this in China. So like, kokuji. <laughs> no, here's, our sec- here's our second action item. Because like, we make up words in English all the time. Mm-hmm. Why can't we make up our own kanji? So make up your own kanji and send it to us and tell <gasps> us the meaning. Heck yeah. yes, but it can't exist. So if you try well, to make one... That's what making up something <laughs> Right, <laughs> but, if you, but if you think you're putting one together and I find out it's a real kanji, Ooh, yeah. I'm going to shame you yeah. on Twitter don't, in front of everybody. Shame our users. Just go but on G-Show. Them, send them a make private sure it exist message first. that's very threatening, though. <laughs> yeah. Hey, buddy, I see what you did there. I have your mm. dog and I'm going to keep it maybe treat Kristen, it very lovingly maybe Kristen will send you a sticker for that too <laughs> but not but not a good one it'll be half a sticker i'm gonna make an, <laughs> I'm gonna make an <laughs> oh my gosh okay yeah if you legitimately send one and i find out it's a real kanji i'll i'll like rip a sticker in half what but i'll do a video and i'll throw it in the trash <laughs> and i'll send that those, to you those stickers i'll put it on a disk drive that we Make I'll, by I'll put it. On the I'll record store. it. I'll put that on a CD, and I will mail the CD to you. And you have to put it in your computer and watch a video of me ripping a sticker. It's like a lot of work. 
Yeah, I'm not doing any That's of this. Great. If you I'm going to make an intern do all of this. But she might send a sticker, maybe. If you send a really cool one you with a cool meaning. You have to send me like a really cool new kanji. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you have to Sorry, do the reading, too. <laughs> Sorry, I'm playing footsie with our if audio engineer. If you send me... <laughs> what? If you send a tweet to, to Tofugu at all in the next week, I'll just dump a sticker in the garbage disposal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, in the shredder. We have a shredder. In no. the shredder. For yeah. every tweet you send I'm, to Tofugu. We're, we're paying for these stickers. <laughs> I'm going to destroy our store's stock. Oh, my gosh. Ugh. But do you see how excited we get uh, over Kanji? <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right, that's our second action item. Our third action item is please go to iTunes. Rate and review the Tofugu podcast. We really appreciate it. It helps us out a ton. Oh, yeah. I was going to read some reviews, but no one left a review. So What? Yeah. Come on, guys. What the heck? I've uh, never even been here for reading them. To read a re- well, And they don't tell me what anybody says. Well, you have to listen to the podcast. Well, oh, I'm not doing that. Because we've read all of them. Do you think I'm going to listen to this? No, there's some we haven't read, right? Do we read we've all read of them? We've read them all. Oh, no. You guys, we are at the end of the show. Now I'm never going to know. We don't have know. any damn reviews <laughs> because of you. <laughs> I'm never going to know. We have nothing to do. We have to just keep talking forever until a review comes in. <laughs> Basically what That's we're why doing. this is the five-hour podcast, oh, This everybody. is a really long one. What does the time thing say before we edit it? 152. <laughs> oh, no. Or one hour and 52 minutes. Oh. Well, when Jamal you dies guys. next week, you guys, we'll the, have to find someone the sun, else the sun, it's so long. The sun has gone past the temple so many times, <laughs> and, and times has gone by. What is time, really? I can't space. believe nobody reviewed. <laughs> I'm never going to be here when you guys read a review. Come on. There's got to be one. Okay. Here, read. Here, let me get one. For I'll Kristen make one up. Read. I'll make one up. Okay. Dear Tofugu, your rants make it impossible to listen to your podcast. <laughs> zero out of zero s- or zero out of a hundred stars. That sounds like a real review. That sounds like a very <laughs> real review. <laughs> Did you just read a review? Uh, yeah, it was real. I could write a review. I read it on these myself. bones that I burned in a fire. It's yeah. It told me in kanji. I'm going to read one from December 22nd. <laughs> okay. 2016. Oh my gosh, it's that know, old? It's, this podcast has been such a joy to listen to. The hosts are funny, personable, and weird. We did read this one. We did. Damn it. This is when we started the podcast. Thank you, Nirwit, for <laughs> getting on board the, the, the Mrs. Krizzle train. Oh, wait. We've never read this one. What? Uh, from <laughs> Nerd Femio. Amusing and lighthearted while educational. <laughs> Good for otaku and weeps. <laughs> oh, no. That's us. <laughs> we, did it. we did it, guys. Uh, Shoot. If I had seen that, I would have burned the podcast to the ground a long time ago. Well, this is the last episode, everybody. That's it. Yeah, because I read that. Oh, man. It's over. You, you, you triggered me. Don't well, you do know that. what? My or that's not what I meant. I meant like like I'm a secret spy. A Manchurian and you're gonna candidate. you're gonna uh, explode in the next. And my 10 thing is seconds. to burn down the Tofugu podcast once I hear the secret words, which <laughs> were the ones that you read. <laughs> so I'm taking a fire to the podcast and. Oh no, we're burning. <laughs> quietly. Well, uh, that'll be it. Let's oh, let's get it. out of here. I'm so sorry, everybody. This was this was this was a rough ending. This was so I just wanted best. to do a fun 
podcast about cool kanji. Well, you know, it was and everybody fun. ruined it. It was so fun, and then and then we got hungry, and then you know what happens when kids get hungry? We get grumpy. We don't have any Pringles. We don't have any Pringles. <laughs> we don't have the celery with the 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 peanuts butter on it, <laughs> and and I want the raisins on there. <laughs> Why would you? I want the ants on a log. The ones that I saw all the other kid eating. <laughs> and all that other one. I kid. want all the other kid eating and I wanna eat I wanna eat the ant on a log. This is you guys who listen to the podcast. Do you know how late we stay for these? If you're if you this is the one it's where so you're like nighttime if, right now. If you're you in a car my bedtime, and you're okay? with your mom and you're like, Oh my god, mom, I've been listening to this really educational <laughs> podcast and you've gotten this far. I'm sorry, mom. I'm sorry. Wait, the mom was listening the whole no, time? Because you're in your car. Oh. If anything, the mom. And you were like, hey, mom, I like know we have to drive to M- Mississippi, but or we're escaping the hurricane and we're dri- driving we north. Go, we're trying to get to the Pilgrim Village. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Plymouth Rock's a disappointment. <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. Uh, Plymouth Rock's a disappointment. <laughs> My bus got lost. I was That's very tired. That's been the main point of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening. Uh, rate and review us, or I else guess. we won't have anything to read. Maybe next don't week. rate us after this one. Maybe rate us after you listen to a better, like <laughs> ending. Like it was good, and then we like we started. We were just all that Hobbit grass <laughs> that we're munching. <laughs> we are in Portland. Yeah, it was a good episode, you guys. Just believe it. Just believe it. Believe it. Write is it. that a Naruto? <laughs> it is. Write us the new kanji. Yeah, give me give me new uh, kanji. Give us stickers. No, we, no. Give, we give you stickers. <laughs> yeah, I reviews. got a whole pile of stickers behind Maybe. my desk. <sighs> Goodbye. Okay. Goodbye. Yeah.